Hi guys, it's me Sanya and this is the Coffee Banter Podcast. A conversation around the basic questions of existence, creativity and social healing. Although these episodes are free, but a lot of effort goes into creating and publishing them for you. If you want to support the show, or better yet, buy me a coffee, you can do so through a website called patreon.com. You can pay any amount you like per month and cancel anytime, or even just make a one-time donation. Head to patreon.com forward slash podcast to make more episodes like these possible. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to yet another episode of the Coffee Banter Podcast with me, Sanya Zafar. Today's show is around a topic that is very personal to me and I have been advocate for this skill as I would call it since I started working back in 2009. My guest today is Mimi Nicklin, a best-selling author and the host of the Empathy for Breakfast show as well as the Secrets of the Gap podcast. She's an experienced marketeer and communication specialist a well-known empathetic leader and the creative officer and regional manager director for a global advertising agency. For over 15 years, she has been working across the globe with her clients to drive standout creative interventions that lead to business and cultural changes. She's also a keynote speaker, a columnist, and recently launched her first book called Softening the Edge. She's lived and worked in London, Hong Kong, Singapore, Cape Town, Johannesburg and Dubai. She's a natural coach, writer, and has a diverse experience. What's interesting is that she has a passion for balancing humanism with capitalism and drives her commitment to leading the practice of regenerative and empathetic leadership, as she calls it, as well as her principles of people into organizations and communities worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Mimi Nicklin on the show. How are you today? I'm so, so happy to be here. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction and for inviting me to join you. Thank you so much for taking time out and for being here. So first questions first, are you a coffee or a tea person? Oh, I'm definitely a tea person. Yes, anyone on social media will know I'm absolutely in love with tea. I do drink coffee, but no, I'm definitely a tea person. I think that's slightly healthier as well. (laughs) Yeah. So Mimi, I'd just like to uh, start my interviews with a little bit of uh, background. Um, You are a marketing and communication specialist and hold a leadership position at a creative consultancy here in Dubai. Did you always know you wanted to be in marketing and sought out to study it or was this by accident? No, I did always know, actually. Um, I'm quite unusual in my industry because most people fall into advertising. So I've always been, nearly always been on the advertising side of the marketing industry. Um, because my dad was an ad man, like one of the original for any of your listeners that have ever seen the series Mad Men on, on, on TV. Um, Wonderful. My dad was one of those guys, right? So he was um, in advertising when advertising was really in its heyday. Um, right. And I grew up knowing that I wanted to do that from sort of about the age of 12. So yeah, for me, I had a real beeline for this industry. Mm. I specifically studied to get here. I took up a graduate program in London um, right. in one of the top agencies because I knew exactly where I was going. Um, so yes, for me, this was a very definitive choice. And all those countries that you mentioned at the beginning that I've lived and worked in has been because of advertising. I've traveled the world um, with this career, trying to really uncover culture, which yeah. is obviously 
all the work I'm, I'm doing now. But yes, I have a real passion for creativity. And uh, my dad was also um, on the copywriting side of, of creativity. So in our industry, we have two, two core types of creative people, the yeah. writers and the art, the designers. Yeah. Um, both my dad and I are both natural writers. So um, storytelling was always a big thing in our house. Oh, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Um, so I know that as marketeers, there's always this one project that you gave your heart and soul to, and then you invested yourself so fully in it that you're passionate to speak about it after years. Is there a campaign that you've done in the past that's still your baby and you're the most proud of? Oh, there's been a couple. I have to be honest. There's probably four over, you know, 13, 14, 15 years. Um, but if I chose one, I would choose, there was a, a project I did whilst I was in Singapore for Horlicks, which is a right. malted drink. And so Pakistan was one of our really big um, markets. That's why I was asking. So yeah. um, lots of the subcontinent markets, children grew up on Horlicks. And when I yeah. was in Singapore, we were looking after those markets. Um, we created a, a full animated um, game, like for the, the cell phone, um, and a full two-minute trailer to go with that. And it was an, in, it was an incredible project, um, which ran all around the world and allowed us to see through really sort of, you know, like Hollywood-level illustration and then animation of this game and the characters that went with it, and particularly for the subcontinent and then into Nigeria. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, every time I look at that now... I can't believe we did it. You know, I, I look yeah. at it and I think, gosh, it's a really fantastic piece of work. So yeah, that work for Horlicks really stands out as uh, something I just put a lot of heart and soul into. Wow, that sounds like an immense creative experience. So I would actually drive the conversation towards something that I did want to actually speak to you about. I know marketing because I'm a marketer as well. So I really wanted to start it with that. But I'm really interested in your work in empathy and uh, we've recently connected on LinkedIn and I've, I've been seeing you uh, basically in all major publications in the, in Dubai at the moment <laughs> um, with your book launch. And surprisingly it has been during the time of COVID, which is I think um, very challenging for an author. Like I didn't give much thought to it unless I saw your post as well that, wow, you know, um, launching a book in COVID, you can't do those uh, typical book launches and you can't network physically the same way. How has that whole experience been? Oh, yeah, it's been, um, it's been sort of two-sided. You know, there's been kind of um, gold and shadow. Um, yeah. Gold is that uh, what the COVID-19 experience has done is created a space for empathy yeah. in society and in the business world. Absolutely. So if I go back to November 2019, really nobody was talking about empathy. Uh, when I got my publisher sort of all signed, I remember, um, you know, many people being like, really, you're going to write a whole book about empathy. Um, and you fast forward less than a year and that conversation has changed. So mm. in many ways, um, there couldn't literally couldn't be a better time to be having this conversation. Mm. Having said that, it has been a really, a really difficult process. Um, mm. Probably the hardest thing is that, and I actually put something on LinkedIn about this today. I create and write best in public spaces. I like to be surrounded by people to have kind of noise in the background. It's what inspires yeah. me. And I had to finish my book in lockdown um, oh. in, you know, a house all on my own with a isolation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was really, really tough, you know, to mm. try and 
do all of that editing um, in that environment with no humanity, no connectivity, no inspiration. This is obviously a book about empathy, right? It's a book about people. Yes, um, yes. That was really difficult. Um, and of course, as you said, logistically, you just have to rely on the digital world. And I'm a mm. real people person. So to not be able to sort of get out there and meet people and see people, um, even the really big businesses like Amazon, we've had massive delays. They're understaffed. There's massive backlogs for, for things. Um, yeah. We've had problems with listings in the UK. And, you know, so it's been, um, yeah, it's been really challenging. And obviously I didn't see my publishing team for a long time. And, and the state of humanity just generally, you know, people are a bit flat and a bit slow and mm. yeah. It's definitely, um, you know, I've just about started now the second book and I would hope that when that one gets to publishing stage, we will be past this and uh, it'll be a slightly different experience. So there's been pros and cons, but it's definitely been, it's definitely been a journey. (laughs) That's lovely. But your second book, again, is it around the same theme or have you, um, have you talked about something else now? No, well, the second book is around curiosity. Um, so based on the fact that curiosity drives understanding, so everything I do will be connected to empathy, um, yeah. because for me, that is my passion, right? Reconnecting people with people. Um, but the second book takes a slightly different way into that, looking at, at curiosity and how curiosity drives understanding, how mm. we can be using curiosity as a currency in business and life, um, and how just being curious about each other, um, right. is going to allow us to grow and thrive as well as innovate and create. So yeah, same, uh, same sort of master theme, but um, a different way into that conversation. Mm. And maybe now the, the question, the golden question that I want to ask you, what is empathy to you? Like if you were to speak in a few lines um, and the rules that can apply across uh, corporate sector and personal relationships, what, is, what does it mean to you? I think at its most simple, empathy is about perspective taking if I said it in literally just a couple of words, um, there are various forms of empathy and and different forms for different um, social situations or business situations. But fundamentally, you're talking about shared understanding. You're talking about a data set. You're talking about giving yourself the understanding, the data, the perspective Mm. of another, of their context, of their reality. So it's about understanding the world as others see it. I personally feel the same as well. You know, it's, it's, it's that skill where you put yourself in the shoes of someone else and you you walk their walk, you talk their talk and you see something from their perspective. Um, and I often tell my friends as well that, you know, being empathetic doesn't mean that you have to agree with someone. It's just that you're understanding them and you leave it there. And that's what matters. So it's just such an important skill. I, I totally agree with it. And now talking about the corporate world specifically, how can leaders um, uh, in our organizations gain empathy? Um, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a, couple of, um, there's a couple of key ways that leadership teams can really view empathy. But I think that's most simple, um, listening. Listening is probably the backbone that empathy is not about agreement. So you can, as a leader, empathize with your team, your client, your supplier, your partner. This is not about listening to respond. This is just about listening to understand. And listening is fundamentally one of the most powerful leadership skills we have. And yet very, very infrequently is it taught. Um, So I would say, you know, really from a leadership point of view, if you're looking for the one sort of key step towards being a more empathetic leader, 
the ability to what we call actively listen or empathetically listen, um, which is to be able to hear someone for what they're saying, as I said, not to form a response or an answer, but to understand their context, mm. their information. And there's a whole sort of subset of skills around body language, eye contact, um, linguistics that you can use in order to listen more actively. But those leaders right. that get it right get huge value in return. Right. And it's something so simple, but something so fundamentally, um, uh, you know, basic to, uh, to human beings. I, I think every one of us has it inside of us. It's just about practicing it, I believe. It is. Empathy is, is a skill. Um, we know that from neuroscience. You know, there's a, a popular misconception that um, maybe women have more than men or that this person was born with more than the next. It's a skill <laughs> that we all have. It's built into our prefrontal cortex. Um, it's a choice to use it. And uh, you're absolutely right that that's a decision to, to actively listen. We can do it. You just have to choose to do it. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned it now because I wanted to um, highlight a piece that you wrote for Gulf News. I was recently reading it and you say, I quote, while a socially nurturing role has been placed on and around women for generations, neurologically, we are all born with the same ability to empathize. Evolution has honed our ability to connect with each other and to take the perspectives of others as a survival mechanism and as a success criteria for shared growth. So, are you saying that, you know, like you mentioned that by birth, men and women are born with the same percentage of empathy. And then maybe that this is like um, a reservoir that we either increase or decrease um, as we go along. Right. Mm. Yeah. Like any skill, you know, whether it's cooking or tennis or, you know, whatever skill set you're practicing, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Um, so, and it becomes more natural. So if you cook every day, cooking is much more natural to you. Same with empathy. The more you use it, the more natural that use and the more ability you have to use it um, increases. From a gender point of view, um, there's a lot of research out there. No, let me reframe that. There's differing research out there. There's not enough out there. Hmm. Um, what we know, as I said, is that neurologically, there's no um, difference in the amount of empathy we're born with. Right. There is some research that shows that perhaps hormones might have something to do with it, but that research is as yet not final. Um, mm. That perhaps hormone levels may impact how frequently or how quickly we access our empathy. But yes, it's my belief that the female ability to use empathy has perhaps just been in practice more. Um, and generationally, you know, great grandma to grandma to mum to us have been in environments where they've had to have empathy. They've had to listen. You know, they've been in household environments perhaps mm. where they're the ones listening to, to the family unit. They've been the ones that have had to empathize with the children, the extended family, the older family. Um, so socially over many decades, maybe hundreds of years, yeah. women have earned that ability. But does that mean that we have more of it than men? No, it just means that we use it differently. We use it differently, yes. And maybe we've subconsciously been practicing it uh, because of our situations and circumstances, like you mentioned. Um, now, maybe with the advent of COVID-19 and all that happened afterwards, we're now living in an undeniably physically, emotionally, mentally stressful time period. If we talk about work life, then a majority of the workforce has suffered uh, job losses and salary cuts. And the ones who did survive it, they're, um, they have this elephant in the room always. So don't you believe that balancing, like you mentioned, the humanism with capitalism in these trying times is more difficult than ever? And perhaps if I may be um, very blunt, only an idealistic situation? 
I don't think it is more difficult than ever. I think it's more important than ever. Um, I don't think that the fact that socially we're having a really complex time doesn't make the understanding of that or shouldn't make the understanding of that any harder than it ever mm. was. If you are able to listen to people, if you are able to tune into other people's realities and you make time for that and you prioritize those team members, it's mm. no harder to listen now than it was, you know, say this time last year. But the need to do it more frequently has definitely increased because as people come back to work, for those that are returning to work, they've all experienced this time differently. So of course, across the world and across different groups, we've all had a different experience of the last six months, but nobody's come away from it totally unscarred because life has changed for everybody yes. in some, way, yes. some more than others. Um, so no, I don't think it's idealistic. And I actually, I know it's not idealistic because there are leaders that are doing it. Um, mm. I do it with my team. I have friends and colleagues that are doing it with their team. Uh, there are people, you know, really big leadership teams like Microsoft. So Satya Nadella, who, who leads Microsoft, uh, Jacinda Rod. So there are leaders all around the world in small teams like mine and big teams like theirs that are still doing it. So no, it's not idealistic. It may take a little bit more energy. You know, I mm. often talk about the fact that being an empathetic leader is not the easy route. You know, people yeah. talk about empathy being a soft skill. And I always want to sort of scream and say, you guys give it a go. This is not soft. This is really difficult. <laughs> um, it's much easier to go into work and not care, right? Go into work, be horrible to everyone, do your jobs and go home. That's easy. That's lazy. Mm. One can do that. To actually activate the value of our people because everybody has value, right? Whatever level in the company they are, everyone has a story to tell, everyone has Absolutely. value to add. Yeah. To actually activate that does take effort. Mm. But again, is it idealistic? No, it's just a little bit of hard work. But most things in life that are worthwhile are hard work, right? So oh, that's absolutely correct. And I think um, as as employees, if you know that you're heard, not again, if you know someone is agreeing or disagreeing to you, but you're respected, you're valued, you're heard, and especially when it comes down from the senior management, then it's a tri trickle effect, right? Um, I'm more bound to act like my leaders, so I'm learning from them, and then I can, you know, whatever people that I'm managing, I'm the same with them. Um, I do agree that it's something that it that is learned um, comes from top to bottom because then that makes the culture of the workplace um, and seeing that your work is so much on empathy I'd love to know how how's the culture and yeah like we I mean if you ask my team um, I mean they would they would definitely say that it is a very um, empathetic culture when I set out to lead this business turnaround because this was a, a turnaround story at its heart and mm. um, the first thing I did and I write about this in the book is say to everyone we will be the happiest agency in the Middle East um, because for me when I took over wow. me, it is and I you know I think we I mean I, I don't have a score so I don't know but I would say we're up there um, we talk about being happy at work we talk about um, always telling the kind truth so you know really saying things as they are for, for good reason um, we talk about really caring you know about our clients about our work about our deadlines you know it's a very flat structure it's a very open structure um, what I would never do and I really dislike the term family in a business mm. environment people say oh it's like one big family mm. uh, the reason I dislike that is because I think actually families are kind of sacred things and, and work should never really be like your family. Mm. But there is a, a sort of a similarity there in that there is very uh, open conversation. We all tell the honest, honest truth all the time um, and everybody's valued. So whatever level of the company they are, as I said, we believe that everybody has value to give and a story to tell um, and we listen. So I think, you know, my team know that I listen, that our leadership team listens 
And that if we ask, we're asking because we want to know. I think so many leaders ask questions. They're not listening to your answers. Even simple ones like, how are you? Oh, hi, Mimi, how are you? They're not listening. They don't know what mm. you said. You know, they yeah. have no interest. So yeah, very collaborative, very open. That doesn't, you know, doesn't mean it's always perfect. Um, right. but we definitely strive to put the, the humanity before the capitalism. So we need to make money. Everybody needs to make money. But we're doing that in a way that we hero our people. Um, mm. And the money, the money comes. That's such a fascinating perspective. And, you know, um, you mentioned this um, empathy does create a, a positive effect um, at the workplace. Um, but also the fact that in marketing, because, you know, um, in an advertising agency, I think it's it's so important. And now that you're saying it, you know, it just clicked in my mind that, yes, as marketeers, if you're empathetic, if you know the culture is such where everybody's opinion matters, uh, where everybody is honest and and then you're making campaigns. So there would be magic created for sure because you're not li only listening to each other. You're not afraid to speak out. Um, your management is listening to you. Your teammates are listening to you. But also the fact that maybe then even you're thinking from your, um, from your consumer's point of view because that's maybe one thing that we would totally miss out being a marketer. Mostly it's about campaign. It's about results. But yes, the, the audience, uh, empathy and the audience that connects to it as well at a big level, I believe. Yeah. And the last two chapters of my book are all about that. So the last two oh. chapters of my book are about both marketing and creativity. Um, right. And the fact that, yeah, if we don't have empathy for our audiences, and I think um, the challenge is we often don't. Uh, now in marketing, whether that's due to tighter timelines, tighter budgets, smaller teams, the role of procurement, um, we so often shortchange our audience. Mm. We don't empathize with them. Mm. We do what we think we want them to do we do what the organization wants them to do uh, like you said we plan campaigns by results and not by people so right. it's, a, it's a massive issue I just recently wrote a piece for brand tribe all about this just the fact that you know insight and creativity so fundamentally marketing and yet so often we're talking to ourselves because we, we yeah, create campaigns yeah the vice president of communication wants you know yeah. who cares what he wants he's supposed to be talking to I don't know you know, housewives between 25 and 35. Absolutely. The VP of might be a 50-year-old woman or man that knows nothing about that. So Absolutely, yeah. You're right. Empathy is um, at the core of all successful marketing as far as I'm concerned. Oh, wow. You know, you could, you could think one term would mean so much, but it actually does in, in so many walks of life and in so many areas at workplace. So um, I really hope even if one person decides to uh, flex those muscles a bit, you know, <laughs> I'd be so glad. Um, you say and something, it's, um, you know, that it is like we spoke about this, that it's, it's like a trait. Um, I feel when people say that's how I am, oh, I can't change that, you know, it gets in their way. Um, and I'm sure that research proves that as well, that when people believe they don't have a certain trait, they shy away from any challenges that might come up associated with it. But when they think they can grow, they open up. So it's all about a mindset if you, if you want a change in you. If you think you're perfect, then, you know, there's not, nothing much pretty much that can be done about it. Yeah, like the, the great thing about empathy is that um, because of the neuroplasticity of our brains, which basically just means the brain's ability to mold and, and flex to experience. If you make the decision to be more empathetic, if any of your listeners today listening into this make the decision to be a little bit more empathetic, the great news is you will be more empathetic hmm. because the minute you send that instruction to your brain, your brain will, will again, because of its neuroplasticity, it will flex and activate those muscles, yeah. those neurons. Yeah. 
So empathy is something that you absolutely, as you said, you can make a choice to activate. Um, and then, you know, that will happen. The other great thing about empathy is that it is contagious. So as humans in a subconscious level, hmm. if I empathize with you over time, you will then empathize back. We, we understand in our subconscious that this is how humanity thrives. This is yeah, we're, yeah. We're social animals. We are better in teams. We are stronger together mm. so it is something that is very contagious amongst amongst people and um yeah i mean there's this there's a henry ford quote that i often um reference so the, the guy literally behind ford motors very very old many many decades old quote but he said if you think you can you probably can and if you think you can't you can't and i like to adapt that to empathy mm. and say if you think you can empathize you probably can and if you think you can't you can't because yeah. to your point when you convince yourself you can't do something you actually can't do it because you tell your brain you can't do it and your brain stops activating it yeah if you think you can empathize you want to empathize you can it's that it's that simple it's just so beautiful and something that you say makes a lot of sense you say that most of the companies need a ceo to be the chief empathy officer <laughs> that is so beautiful <laughs> And it's changing. It's changing. It's happening. There are businesses now employing um, chief empathy officers to work with their leadership team. Um, there is the role of an um, empathy director being built into businesses. And there are more and more CEOs recognizing that their job is to yes. understand their businesses. Yes. You know, uh, Simon Sinek says that for CEOs, you know, any of those CEOs that say, you know, that their job is to look after the customer have got it wrong that their mm. job isn't to look after the customer. Their job is to look after the people. People, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's changing slowly, but it's changing. That's nice. But, but people like you are working towards that, you know, so and spreading the message. So uh, Mimi, that was so nice having you on the show. And I'm, again, so happy that you could take time out and be here and speak to us about something so simple, something that all of us have it, yet we often forget. And um, I'm going to be a little bit more empathetic today. That's for sure. That's from my, the, <laughs> the conversation that follows. And uh, hope to have you again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I really have enjoyed the conversation and uh, yeah, just, you know, to carry on that conversation and to find people like you who want to talk about it because that's my goal, right? My goal is just to keep elevating the conversation. So thank you for helping me do that. Brilliant. And good luck with the book. Thank you. Thank you.